Welcome to World Harvest Outreach Wednesday Night Bible Study. Talking about all of this was in the heart and the mind of God. And we read the first three chapters of Genesis, especially Genesis 1 and 2. That's what we're reading is everything that's in the heart and mind of God starts to come forward as he speaks. And he already knows, when he, even when he created Adam, I'm going to become just like Adam. And I am going to visit and be with my people in a way that they can't even fathom. And a lot of them didn't. They, that's kind of what we talked about last week. They missed it. Even when Jesus was walking, they missed who he actually was. Because he was more than just the Messiah. He was Yahweh in the flesh, walking in the midst of them. Just like he did in the original tabernacle. And how Adam and Eve walked with him in the garden. So keep that in mind. That as God tells his story through his creation. And as we read about it. It's all in mind where he's leaving. And I'm going to use something that I didn't use. But a theologian uses that. God has always put these footprints. Throughout time and history. Of evidence of himself. And specifically Jesus. They, he has put himself in there. And he's, he's left the clues for us. And, um, and he's done that throughout. And that's kind of what we're looking at tonight because it's so easy to take Genesis and read it like, oh, well, this is history. This is just stuff that happened before. It's important to us to know, you know, our lineage or where we came from. But um, for him, this is all very much alive as it was when it happened. And it is now because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of that, and he's rejoicing over it all the time. And so... That's that's kingdom heavenly perspective that we don't always have. And I know I don't always have of rejoicing to realize he's in control of this whole thing. Um, and he sees it and we can have confidence. We can have faith in it. So um, <clears throat> a couple other things I feel I need to say. So keep that one in mind. Um, the other one is I feel like I need to... Um, point out just a couple things when we ended Genesis 3 as well is because <clears throat> this is an important one as we go forward in the story and I feel this is where things really um, have gotten uh, somewhat messed up over the centuries uh, that the church has misunderstood and we've taken the story and we turned a beautiful love story into a belief system and a creed like the apostles agreed I believe in God the Father I believe and we turned it into a set of beliefs that we're to have and turned it into things um, we've almost taking what was this good news about Jesus and then we start making rules like Jesus made rules like well here's the rules of Jesus now and then we strip people of their joy um, a lot of times. Um, and I think the story's been stripped of its joy sometimes because of that. Um, so, one of those things is, and we'll see uh, who remembers this, because this was another one of those um, moments I think is important as we go forward in the story. Is, does anybody remember what, <clears throat> maybe you don't believe it, I don't know, so I, I didn't really get feedback on this night, but this was a 
Court night when I defined what sin is and what was Adam and Eve's sin. Does anybody remember about what specifically I said their sin is in chapter 3? Not trusting? Yes. Do you want, anybody else want to elaborate? Because that is right. What did she say? She not said trusting. not trusting. Wasn't it like not knowing who they were? That's very close. Yes. Yes. It, it, like their identity. Yes. Yes. Do you remember what was the first thing? I'll give you. I'll give you a little hint, and that might really come to you. Look at the end of verse ten in chapter three. What does Adam do? And by the way. God has a story. He is walking. God is walking in the garden. He's walking. He's walking in the garden. It was part of his routine. He was walking in the garden, and he can't find Adam. And what's it say? It's three words. Mm -hmm. I guess it depends on the translation. He hid, he hid from the God. Yeah. Yeah. It says that he hid. He said, I, I hid. And if you remember where it says that they hid themselves from the presence of God, Remember, the best translation that in the original Hebrew is they hid from the face of God. Because we think, you know, we use that word presence, but they hid from the face of God. And, it's, and it specifically says he hid and he winds up saying it again. Now, if you remember, without going into the whole thing, you could go back and look at it <laughs> or go listen to the, the video. Um, I was talking about the sin offering in Leviticus because it really defines really what that sin is. And the best definition of the word of what sin is, it's to hide oneself. And it comes to what you're saying about the identity part. It means to hide oneself. Because when they talk about the sin offering, they're talking about the sin offering was for these things we didn't, these sins we didn't even know we committed as well. It wasn't for the intentional ones. It's the ones that we didn't even know we did and we did and the sin offering is take care of this. And what it is is because we wound up hiding ourselves. Because our heart posture goes away from the face of God and goes elsewhere. And sometimes it turns inward on ourselves. So keep that in mind when you see the presence of the Lord in your, when you're, as you go through the Bible, you'll see in the Old Testament too, you'll see that same expression. But remember, it can be interpreted to hide one is to hide your face from God or, to, or God. They hid themselves from God's not presence, but his face. Because that's the relationship Adam had with him. When he breathed into him, he's looking at him. He breathes into his nostrils. Adam's looking at God straight in the face. And we can tell from this that God normally walks with Adam and even the garden, which is why he asked the question, where are you? I can't see you. I can't see your face. So obviously they turned their face from him, their heart posture. Everything changed for them that day that was the sin is for the first time they were like on their own they they before it was totally different it was just this relationship with god it was kind of like we see our our kids which you know jocelyn does such a good job of reminding us you ever notice how that our kids just see the face of god better than all of us in this room i believe um, I, i'm amazed that our kids at this church <laughs> i mean they get it they get it um, and I feel like that's because this body and the parents of this church have kept them from what I call a lot of religion and have just focused 
on literally what this whole thing's about is a relationship with our Creator, who's our Father. So, so that's what um, kind of happened right here. The other thing I need to point out before we get to chapter four here um, is there's a promise made to Eve. That is very important. There's a promise clear back here. There's a promise made to Eve that this, this hiding oneself, people turning from the creator, because they're the, the only way we can image God is if we're looking at him. It's the only way. We can't do it on our own because then it just comes a bunch of rules, morals, and on our own strength. The only way, the reason we're holy is because God is holy. And when we look at him, we're holy. It's, it's a heart posture. So <clears throat> there's a promise made to Eve. And the promise is right here, as we know much later, what the ultimate fulfillment of this seed that comes from her, which is Jesus, but even at this point, and this is going to get us into four, where I'm going to jump to, is, and probably none of you, I, I didn't think about this until, I don't know, it was probably last year or some point. But <clears throat> Eve actually understood this somewhat. Not fully, but she understood. She believed that the Messiah or Savior was going to come from her. That's what she believes. She actually believes it. Okay? Now, are some of you wondering, like, how do you know that? Anybody wondering that? What's that? You're wondering it. Okay. Well, let's turn over to chapter four. That's how we're going to jump get into this. All right. So, if you want to follow along, I'll, I'll read. It says... <clears throat> one other point before that, the verse above it. It says that God drove the man out of Eden. Okay? Drove him out. Okay? And then that's when he puts the share of he blocks it off, but it says he drove the man out. I'll come back to that. It's kind of, I just want to say it now so we don't go back to it, but remember that the man was, Adam and Eve, and the man was driven out. So it says, now the man knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. <clears throat> now, <laughs> this is where our English Bibles don't do us any justice, because this is difficult to, to interpret um, in the original language. So every Bible kind of has their own little take and sometimes put their own theology into it. But this is why the, an the answer to the question of like, were you wondering where I get that? In the original Hebrew, the way this really reads, um, because there's not all this extra language, it says, I have produced a man. And by the way, it's the same word when God creates Adam, he makes a man. It's the same word. It's the word in Hebrew, Adam. It's the same word. Okay, when Eve says, I have produced a man, I produced Adam. She says, it says, with the help of the Lord. That's, that's the part that's added. What it actually says is, I have 
produced a man, the Lord. The Lord. Eve actually believes, because she believed in the promise, believes that Cain is actually the Savior. Actually believes he's the seed that God promised. Because she's saying, I have produced this man, the Lord, Yahweh. Like, she's already, she believes that's who Cain is. That he is going to be this hope for their sin and posturing away from God. That he's going to be the one. Has anybody, because some people might have, has anybody heard this preached on or talked about, about this verse? Okay. All right. So the help word is not in there? No. Well, because of how the Hebrew is mixed up, the help part, sometimes it's, it can be interpreted in the Hebrew that the Lord helped her produce a man. The Lord. Yeah, because um, actually, the translation I have it has a little footnote there, and it just says the Lord literally, and then it says, and it's like oh, the word help isn't in that footnote at all. Right. Version I have. Right. Right. Now remember, what we're reading here is Eve's words. These aren't the Lord's words. So I just want to put that out. Mm-hmm. She believes in the promise that from her, the seed that. It's going to come her. And she believes Cain was it. She believes Cain was it. That's why she makes this proclamation. The Lord. Yep. So, so with the help, <laughs> she has produced this man, the Lord. And so <clears throat> that's what she's believing at, at, at this point. And this is very important because um, it, it get, this is where, like I said, I need the Lord's help that we can really see that this is more than a story. This is a clue and fingerprint mm-hmm. that God has put here, and he is coming. And what he's going to do, what he's going to do when he comes, and he becomes, when Yahweh becomes flesh, and John 1, 1 happens, that, that the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, it, it starts to happen right here. And we've told this story, and we've missed the the depth of realizing the words of Jesus. If you knew the scriptures, you know they're all about me. But this is all about him. It's all about him. So, moving on. I know that's that's a lot there. Does anybody else have anything at this point? Everybody at least with me here? Well, just a quick question. So, the promise made to Eve was... What? I mean, she was supposed to be the mother of all living, but if you're saying she... The promise was that her her seed would basically overdo things of, of the serpent and the evil that took, like, all the things that took them away from posturing towards God. Her seed would make things right again. Yeah, I mean, the exact verse, I mean... Yeah, I would yeah, like I that like, because I'm... Is, so, where is that? Okay, so, she, to the woman, God says... Okay. Three. Yeah, where are you? Three uh fifteen. Three fifteen. I will put enemy between enemy between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So that's and, and if you remember, I kind of t- when I talked about this verse too, you know, it, well I'm not gonna get it there. 
because it's not necessary for tonight. That's just fun and unnecessary. So, but that's where it comes from. So, is everybody with me or other questions? Because I need you. Mm. Because it's said that her offspring is going to strike the serpent who, who basically tricked them about this whole thing. And we've talked about Christ when we've talked about this, and rightly so, that that's what happened, that Christ crushed the head, crushed the head of, the, of the serpent, that that's what happens at his death. Everybody with me on that, or is that new? What's that? That's not new. Yeah. yeah. So is everybody with me? I said, like, this translation says your offspring and her offspring. I was a little confused. I was like, what? What translation do you have, Chris? Yeah. I tend to see us. I tend to see it be matter one was not floating right now. Um, I'll change versions if that helps at all. Well, it says between your seed and her seed. Right. And you will strike his heel. You guys know how I interpret that, right? Because we have to agree with it, but I did go over this, of when this happens, specifically. Of, especially if you know who I believe the scriptures are saying who serpent really was here. Yeah. So it's Adam, and remember, the place that Jesus is crucified, okay, is believed by Christian and by Christian, a lot of Christian tradition, not all of it, a lot of Christian tradition is that things kind of changed after the flood and that the actual place yes. is, is, where, is outside of Jerusalem, but that Adam was buried right outside of Eden when he eventually dies and that he's buried. Christ gets right outside of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, and Eden, it's believed that Jerusalem and Eden, and if you kind of trace through when we talk about the new Jerusalem, and we talk about Jerusalem, and we talk about Eden, and we talked about Eden symbolizes the sanctuary of God, the presence of God, that is all the same. And so that's where Christ dies, and it's believed that that was the burial place of Adam, and that's why it says that Jesus, or the scripture specifically put that he is crucified at a place called the skull. And that tradition is that the skull and the bones of Adam was buried there. That's why it was called the place of the skull. And when that cross goes through and his feet go there and his blood, the serpent does strike his heel again and he crushes the head and symbolically of that, um, of that skull being crushed um, by the cross as it goes in and Jesus' blood going down in the ground where Adam was formed from. Where Adam was formed from. The ground. The dust. You guys can keep talking to me. I'm not sure if you're with me or not. So, that's what really happens, but Eve believes that this is the Lord coming earlier, that Cain is Cain is the is this seed. It's her first kid. She's thinking, this is it. I was prom I was he told me this, that this was gonna happen. 
Any other questions? I'm with I mean, more you. May, more may come up because I'm going to kind of. I'm with you, I think, with her being like, oh, yeah, I see how this matches. It's like, it's like anytime you, the Lord tells you something, you think, oh, I know exactly how the Lord's going to accomplish that. And then the Lord does, and you're like, that was looking nothing like I thought that was going to be. Mm -hmm. So I can totally see how Eve met her firstborn son. She's like, ah, I got this. You know, this is how this is going. But the jump to thinking that this was Jesus or the Messiah, I don't see that revealed enough in three to make that leap. Why would she call him the, the Lord? Well, did she Just because even know I think... there was going to be a Messiah? What's that? Did she even know there was going to be a Messiah? Not the Jewish concept of Messiah that later gets developed, but she believes that she, they, they know the world's in chaos a little bit. Remember, Adam and Eve are representing a big picture here of something beyond just these individuals. They kind of represent kind of uh, the reaction that, that, that happens in the world when we don't when we turn our face from looking at God and to other things, mm -hmm. wanting to grasp wisdom, our own wisdom instead of his wisdom, and have knowledge, like we want to know as much as God instead of trusting God that he knows more and that we can't even comprehend everything, that he can comprehend and he knows what's best for us. I mean, isn't this our lives? It's mine. Yeah. And so they believe... The point is, is that there is going to be help coming. He doesn't abandon them here. He closed them. And the other thing I guess I should point out back now we're talking about this is what kind of closures does God clothe them with? Yeah. Yeah. Animal skins, which means what? <coughs> yeah, it means... The Lord sacrificed some animals. There was blood that was, and they are covered. It's grace right from the start. He hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't given up on them. He hasn't given up on humanity. And he promises Eve that there's going to be something that's going to come undo this whole mess that they created. Not God, they created. So, I tell you what, I'm going to let you come back. Let me go forward. Okay, and um, but if you need to come back and ask and go through, please don't be afraid to ask. Okay, so I'm gonna need you to take a leap of faith. You can throw it all away later, at least just go with me for right now. Yep, all right, all right. <clears throat> Next, she bore his brother Abel. Right after this, she feels that this is the promised seed that was going to be given to her, is going to change things, and then Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard. For Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Okay, let me just stop right there. Do you notice? <laughs> Eve makes this proclamation that she thinks the person that's going to help them and help all humanity and the original promise given to them about 
basically going out and being fruitful and multiplying is that that Cain's going to be the answer to this and call and even calls him the Lord that this is this this is going to be the Savior and God's brought this all about. Oh yeah, by the way, and then Abel's born. Nothing good to say about Abel. Nothing nothing bad, but nothing. Abel's just kind of there, right? By the way, I'll just put it out there now. If you just think about scripture, you should already know as we go, if you go forward in this story and you just start reading, is the firstborn ever the one really God really chooses? Careful. It's, it's usually always the second. What's that? What's that? I said be careful. So, <laughs> so I mean, in my case, it was my sister. I mean, I was the first. So, so, a lot of times, it's second. It's the second. So, he comes there, and they give this offering. I, I'm just curious. How many people, what is preached about? What have you heard? And why, why was Cain's offering not acceptable or pleasing? And Abel's was. It wasn't his best. It wasn't his best, okay? Yeah, I've heard that. It wasn't his best, right? Any I, others? I heard something big? to do with Cain had like an attitude issue or a... It must have... Basically, it was inferred that it was some kind of flaw with his character. Right. Okay. Uh, I mean, um, also, too, like, um, um, about it sort of like was... He was doing it sort of like... On Moses behind it, like he was sort of doing it just to copy, uh, just to copy for a good favor. Kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts, things you've heard about this? Okay. You guys aren't going to be surprised, but I disagree with those all. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. <clears throat> And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why right now. We're not going to turn to it yet. But it's really not me. Scripture itself tells us. What? <laughs> you probably know where I'm going. He's sitting on his yeah. hands back there. Yeah. So. Okay. I, I am going to go there, but I'm not going to go. You just still follow me. I'm okay. with you. Okay, you're with me. But I'm telling you it's wrong. And scripture itself, I, I'll say this much. We're going to be turning to Hebrews because it's there. And like I said, it's kind of weird that Ben and Mark have been in Hebrews uh, our past two weeks. And I don't <coughs> think that's a coincidence. <laughs> so, uh, but that's where the answer lies. So, so you have to trust me. It's Hebrews, not me. Um, all right. So, verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And in some translations, which I like better based on our theme, it says, and his face was turned down. Hmm. His face was turned down. Posture. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your head turned down? If you do well, 
will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. You've probably heard all kinds of things about this, right? You do well, do the right thing, right? If you do the right thing here, you'll be okay. All right? Another part that's really missed here that's very, very important. He tells him twice to do well. Okay? That Hebrew word, okay, is the verb form of the same word that we spent almost a whole semester in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Every time God is pleased about what he's made and his creation is just the way he wants it, he said, it is good. It's the same word. When he's telling Cain, he's, he's basically saying, do good. It's the same word. Why is that important? Because of something this church has taught me so well, and everybody who's gone to SOS or understands this church of how powerful this, because what it's saying, because it's not SOS and all this stuff is not Mark's idea, stuff like this. This is stuff that's from the Lord and from scriptures. What it's saying, he's saying, if you just realize who you are, this is an identity issue with Cain. He's saying, if you do well, you do good. If you just realize who you are, that I'm the creator of the universe, I am your father, I'm the giver of all life, you were create, I, I created you and you were created for me. And you need to trust and realize when I see you, whether I... I'm not pleased with this particular area and I like Abel's better. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It has nothing to do with that. It's just kind of those who are parents. Sometimes one kid, we like something a little better of theirs. It's just a little more pleasing to us. Does it mean we don't love our other kid? I don't love you, man. I really love you because this is really pleased to me. And you blow the other one off. He's saying, just realize, be confident in our relationship. And who you are. Be confident. And he's probably a little ticked because his mom, now this is speculation by the point, but based on what we're saying, mom might have thought like that. This, this is the this is the promise see here. He already had a little bit of a high head on him thinking, why is Abel's accepted or not? Ain't I the chosen one? Wasn't I the one that was promised? They had to know the stories of what happened. Their parents probably told them what happened. The words that was said, and he, all of a sudden, he said, why is your face down? Why aren't you looking at me? It doesn't mean my presence, my face is not turned upon you. Just do well. Realize who you are, who I created you to be. Do well. Good. You were created good. Are you guys with me? That's so important. To what's saying there? Because this isn't some kind of legalism, some kind of rule. It's an identity issue. It's an identity issue of who we are and who he is, regardless of what has happened. And he tells him what's lurking at the door. Sin. What did I define sin as? To hide one's self. 
saying, don't hide. Stop putting your head down and look at me. You're still the apple of my eye, just like Abel and just like your parents when I created them too. Yeah. Same thing. Lift up your head. What's the other scripture say? Lift up, lift up your face. Remember that? It's, uh, I think it's in the Psalms. About lifting up your face. Lift it up. Look at me. I'm still with you. Remember who you are. That's where, that is what is going on here. It's the same thing with Adam and Eve. It's an identity issue. It's a relationship issue. So sin is lurking at the door. It desires for you, but you must master it. Did Adam and Eve master it? No. No. What does Cain go do? He goes and murders his brother. Because he doesn't lift up his face. He doesn't have confidence in the relationship he has with God. And he does the same thing and repeats the same thing his parents did, is not trust in their identity and who they are. And they hid themselves. Adam and Eve hid themselves, hid their faces from God. Cain hides from God. He bases, nope. He turns his face from God and says, come on, Abel, let's go out in the field. God's guy, they're there. Totally different direction. Totally different direction. Totally goes a different way. The part I want to put about lurking, think about how the questioning and the, the slyness of the serpent and about this lurking, okay? Believe it or not, we're going we're gonna to say, like, man, you're going like way off on another thing. Trust me, I'll get back to this. But just follow me here. Because I need to connect three and four. Chapters 3 and 4, because it's the same story yeah. in a different way. Same story. But let me tell you who tells the right story about what should have happened in Genesis chapter 3 and 4. Anybody want to guess who got it right? It's a Sunday school answer. But it's true. Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Believe it or not, there is depth to that answer. <laughs> there really is. So, other thing I want to point out before I get, I go there and tell how Jesus undoes this story, redeems it. Um, somebody comes to Jesus and asks him, what's the two most important commandments? What was the first? Yeah, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Chapter 3, gone with Adam and Eve, right? Second commandment is just like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells a parable later when somebody asks him, well, who's my neighbor? And basically the answer Jesus gives is anybody in need. It's anybody. Your neighbor is anybody. Anybody in need. And so, once again, what do we have here? Cain. Killing his brother Abel. The two greatest commandments already lost. Already lost. The parents the first, son the second. We've already lost that. So we've lost those things. 
And it's and it's funny because in the story Jesus tells them, you know, in that story, I've done all these since my youth. Did you did you hear the words carefully? I've done all these since my youth. It for and Jesus says, he goes, would you like one thing? Sell all your possessions, give them to the poor. It really wasn't a money issue. His point was is is that you're missing the point. This isn't about what you do or don't do. Right. It's about your heart. Because how do you, you don't love God by like by doing things. And, and Ben kind of talked about this in the scriptures talk about. He doesn't want sacrifice. He wants our hearts. He's always wanted our hearts from the beginning. Right. He wants our hearts. That's what he wants. And we've turned, we've turned scriptures into code and rules. And this is what, this is the manual for life. It is a manual for life, but not for rules. It's for relationship to know somebody who can, because if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail. But if you're face to face with him, there's unbelievable strength, unbelievable strength. So it's going to get back to some other things. So, in Mark's gospel, I was planning on turn, but I'm not going to turn. I'm going to, and you could turn if you want. First chapter, oldest gospel, first gospel ever written was Mark's gospel. Okay, Mark chapter one, first gospel ever written. Jesus gets baptized. Okay, it says this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus. Talks about John the Baptist. The first thing that happens in Jesus' life is he gets baptized, and he says and the Holy Spirit comes down and says, "This is my son. I am well pleased." Does anybody know what it says? Next, and you can turn to it. You're allowed to cheat. What does it say happens? After he's baptized, what happens? What's that? I didn't say anything. Oh, well, I thought you said something. <laughs> Did you hear that? No, I didn't. I'm sorry. Someone said he went into the wilderness. Saw the heavens open. Did did he did he go into on his own? What's that? The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Yeah, and if you look at the language, it says that the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Where did I talk about that? Where did that happen? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Get driven out of the garden. Because because why? They fell into what? The temptation to do life without God. To do life without God. To do it on their own. And they get driven out because they fall. And remember, how many things was Adam and Eve tempted? Or why did they eat of the fruit? There was three reasons why, right? Three reasons why. Do you remember when we went through this? There's three. What were the three? Pleasing to the eye. Yep. For food and... Good for wisdom. Right? <laughs> three things. That's why. Jesus gets driven out. Why is this significant? Because we know from Matthew and Luke, the specifics of this story is because Jesus is tempted. <laughs> and he's tempted three ways. And one of them has to do with what he sees. Mm -hmm. The other one has to do with food. Mm -hmm. And the other one has to do with wisdom. Mm -hmm. And Jesus undoes 
what Adam and Eve failed. That day, for listen, in God's eyes, remember the cross already happened. The victory was won right there. Genesis 3 redeemed. Already. That's why the first thing I'm going to take care of is what happened at the beginning. And that's why Mark's gospel starts out. In the beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. What's the good news right off the bat? Adam and Eve, face-to-face relationship. I'm going to restore, take care of this now. I am going to be the true, the second Adam, the Adam and Eve, the true Israelite, the real Messiah that's going to show everyone how to live in a relationship with God. And at that time, he's really talking about himself. I'm going to show them how to relate with me. Because I'm going to relate with them because he's there in the flesh. Yahweh's there in the flesh. The one that all this took place, the garden is taken care of right from the start. At the end of the temptation in Luke's gospel, uh, if you go to chapter 4 of Luke, um, if anybody wants to flip over there, after Jesus is tempted, what's the last little phrase of that section? There's a little interesting thing that we read over, but once again, it's like, once again, we learn nothing's a coincidence. Left him to an opportune time. Does that sound like anything we just talked about before? What's the image? Isn't the image? Look, look at the imagery. Or I'll read it to you. And if you do well, sin is lurking at the door. It kind of reminds me of our cat, which I'm a dog guy, but we have this cat we have. What's that? So, yeah. So, but we see our cat lurking and waiting for a bird to hit the ground so he can pounce and get it. Okay? Isn't that what it sounds like then in Jesus' temptation too? There's this thing of the devil left him to an opportune time. He's just going to sit and wait like my cat does and wait for the right moment. Wait for the right moment. Okay? If you turn over, I'll tell you where that next opportunity comes. It's Luke. I think I'm right here. Luke 19. Do you have your Bible open, Jill? I think it's Luke 19. No. Sorry. Luke 22, starting at verse 39. Can somebody, without reading it, this is the opportune time. This is Jesus at a very weak moment. Can somebody read just that passage of Jesus at the Mount of Olives praying? Go ahead. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Pick that up. Or it could be interpreted temptation. The time of temptation. Because 
He's facing it. He's telling his disciples, you need to be ready for it because I'm facing it right now. This is the opportune time. Because he is ready to get right. He knows what's coming. It's the, and I'll come back to this. We don't see it this way. Jesus suffering. But scripture talks about it's, it's the joy set before him. The joy set before him. Keep reading. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. <clears throat> Jesus, once again, is overcoming. He's ready to lay down his life for his friends and for the world that he created and everybody he created. But he has this temptation to do what Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and what the whole human race has done their whole lives is, am I going to do God's will or am I going to do my will of what I want? And he's in such anguish about this. I'm telling you, I'm going to come. It is not, it is so significant to what we're talking about tonight. It says that he was in such anguish about this that he sweated blood. And where did the blood fall? On the ground. Yes. On the ground. That humanity was taken from, that he formed them, and now he's in a formed body as well. And what is what is he what is he thinking? I, I'm gonna come back to Cain, but I, I got I'm gonna give the ending before I go back, but I this is the part that God really blew me away with. Because we make this so theological. What he's thinking and the anguish he, there's anguish, but the reason he has the strength to say, but not my will, your will be done. He's reminding who Yahweh in the flesh of why he's there and what he's going to do. And you know what he's doing there? That battle right there is for us. Because what he's thinking of, we say the joy. The joy set before him. Do you know what his joy is? That he will get and win our hearts. That he will win our hearts. Because I, I don't know about you, you always have this thing like, well, why, why did Jesus need to do the cross? He didn't. But he wanted to prove so hard and he knew that there's no sacrifice that could be done except for him himself coming in a body and saying this is how much i love you i am going to show you just like anybody who loves somebody that's willing to give their lives i'm going to do it this is this was the battle he was in and this was the joy was our hearts that was the joy 
That's why he could endure what he endured because he knew what the finish line was all about. And it was winning us, which is what he wanted from the beginning of Genesis 1-1 and even before Genesis 1 in his mind and in his heart. And I think the blood isn't so much I'm doing this. I think it was like, I love them so much. They got to see it now. Because this is the same God that's been faithful to Israel in the midst of them worshiping other gods, worshiping other idols, building golden calves, doing all those things, misunderstanding who he is. He says, but they're going to see now. They're going to see now. I know it. And I got to go. And I got to go. One last thing and I'm back to King. Jesus, there's one last temptation again. Thing is, it's already done. Remember, these events are like repeat, but they're already done in the mind of God. At the cross, and I won't, you can just take my word for it. Read the, basically the cross, Jesus on the cross in Luke. Jesus is once again tempted three times by three different groups. The religious leaders come and say, if you really are the Messiah, then come down off of there. Does he do it? Could he have done it? Yep. Once again, he's thinking about our hearts that he wants to win. We're, you know that thing like we're holding him there? It's not our sin holding him there. It's that he wants you to see how much, he wants to prove that much how much he loves us. The soldiers mock him. And you say you're a king? Really? Once again, let them fall for it. Thinking about us, not self. And then, of all things, the other people, murderers on the cross, they tempt in like, if you really are that guy, then save us all right now, is what the one person on the cross says to him, right? And what, ha what happens? The other one says, we're getting what we deserve. This man's done nothing. And realize who Jesus was. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Eden. Eden. Because what was from the beginning, I'm making it all new. And I'm restoring the whole thing. I am going to win their hearts. It's what I wanted from the beginning. And I'm going to get it. At all costs. All right. Back to King. So, uh, I, I'm, and I apologize if I, I'm not frustrated. I just, I just want us to see this because there is a world crying out for this type of love to know who God is. This story, and it's a story that's as old as the beginning of time, literally, and it's it's. At my age of reading all this, it's hit me more now than it ever has before. So, I'm, um, yeah, so. All right. Mark, where'd you want me to go? I was only saying when the drops of blood hit the ground, that's time to go back to Cain. Yes. That's where the water came. So, <clears throat> Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Well, yeah. So, I've set all this out about blood being dropped. It's dropped from the cross. It's dropped from Jesus' sweat. It's 
all of this stuff is happening, and let's go to those scriptures. And by the way, this should seem very familiar. It sounds like Adam and Eve's conversation with God in a different way, okay, after he kills Abel. <clears throat> let's start at verse 9. Then the Lord, this is after he kills Abel, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Yeah. Same thing. He can't see Abel's face anymore. Where is Abel? And Cain's already turned away. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the, and the answer, by the way, is yes. Um, I do not know. Um, where is your, your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Did you eat of that tree? What have you done? Did you eat of that tree? I told you not to. Same story. Same story. Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. From the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. By the way, the way that can be translated in Hebrew is my sin is unforgivable. My sin is unforgivable. Very important. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. By the way, Sounds like the parents, right? He's scared. Now he thinks he's going to die. Adam and Eve hit him up and he's scared. Just so you know, in perfect love, remember, there is no fear if you know who he is. I shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth that anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. <coughs> Do you realize how big of a moment this is? He just murdered somebody, and he his point is his sin, he's even saying, my sin's unforgivable. What I've done is just so wrong. And once again, he says, no, because the Lord is faithful even at our worst. So Cain's done with himself, but God's not done with him. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. <laughs> Marks him as his own still. So that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Remember, that presence of the Lord phrase could be the that's basically from his face. And settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. East. This is where I had you stick with me here, too. It said that Eve, okay, Adam, after, by the way, 
After the promise, I should have put this in here when you guys were asking like about, well, this promise. After Adam hears the promise to, remember Adam's there and God lays down all those things to Adam and Eve after they sinned and all this stuff. And do you notice that afterwards, in any time in the Bible there's a name change, it's very significant. It's very significant. And it says that Adam, because he heard the promise made to Eve about her seed, about this promise of her seed, coming and making things right, <clears throat> says, changes her, that's when her name becomes Eve. It was one before. Changes it to Eve and says, and it says like that you're the mother of all the living. The, the Hebrew literally means is that she is the mother of life. And by the way, in the New Testament, not when we look at the word grace, it's always in the feminine tense of the Greek language. It's always to the female tense feminine and so once again like mary mary's the continuation of this promise made to eve is mary actually boards the seed who bears yahweh in the flesh in her womb all of that saying that the other thing that happens here do you notice why Cain does not die, but continues to live and have life. You're busting to say it. No? I mean, <laughs> how else we're getting there? Like, the multiply. What's that? The multiply. It's his own brother that he murders, his blood. It says, God says, Cain, Abel's blood cries out to me. Everybody has misinterpreted that and think, meaning, like, his blood's going to, this wrong has been done to him. Like, vengeance. But God doesn't take vengeance because that's not what the blood, the blood's crying out because. This is already the Lord saying, in this, this, this is what he is going to do for the world. Who goes, to, who goes to the cross? Who should have been on the cross? Should, I say should, but who should have been on the cross instead of Jesus? Don't get theological on me. I'm sorry, I should I'd say it. Don't get theological with me. Oh, yeah. Who? He just said it. Did I miss it? Uh, I'm going to say Barabbas. Barabbas. Yeah. Who was Barabbas? Isn't it a or a murderer? A murderer. Like King. Jesus dies in his place. His blood cries out grace, love, mercy. Abel. Abel died and saved his brother by his blood. A foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. This is where, if you haven't followed me, you think I'm crazy, okay? <laughs> you think I'm crazy? Turn over to Hebrews now. This is where I hope you see everything I hope we take as we go forward in this one thing is that See Jesus all over the place. 
when Jesus really says, if you knew the scriptures, you know they're all about me, he meant it. I mean, he meant it. All right. Here we go. Jay, what was it? Hebrews what? Hebrews 12. We're going to start at verse 22 of Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel points to this very thing, that his blood saved his murdering brother, and Jesus, even more so, basically lets everybody know that God loves them and shows grace to everybody. And that's what it means by the blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood spoke to God about Cain. Jesus' blood speaks it to everyone. Everyone. Because Jesus, from the cross, as he's dying, says what? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They don't know what they do. Cain, at the time, didn't really know what he, do, what he did. But Abel's blood cried out for his brother, mercy, grace, love, to Cain. Yes. So I'm with you in spirit. Okay. But the average Bible reader mm -hmm. is going to go to Genesis 4. We're going to say, all right, verse 10 says, The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And the very next words are, You are cursed from the ground. So it's, it's a, I'm talking about the average Bible reader. Mm -hmm. They're going to hear that Abel's blood is not saying what Jesus' blood is saying. From context. I guess you got, for me, I, you, to me, you got to keep reading because if that was true, then why did God show him mercy? I think it was because of his blood. Like I said, I'm spiritual yeah. but I'm telling you, the average Bible reader, I, I agree. The very context is the Lord saying you're cursed right. on the ground, and He's got some serious consequences, right, as a result of His decision to murder the brother. Right. And is it there even now for all of us? Whether we sin, we mess up. There's always consequences still to our decisions. There's still always consequences. But, but another point to that, Mark, is that statement itself is still speaking of Jesus. Because again, he was hung on a tree. Cursed be everyone that hangs on the tree. And yet, he hung there taking that curse and his blood pouring out 
But the parallel there is with, with Jesus and Abel. This is Cain. Here's where I thought you were going to go when I kept talking about okay. Cain and all this. Like, he's cursed from the ground. Remember you said his countenance fell? Mm -hmm. So he was looking down instead of looking into the face of the Lord. Okay. Right. So if that's going to be your source, every time you go and you look at the ground, you're going to get a curse as a result to show you stop looking down. That's where I want to go with this. This is where like the full picture is for right. me. Like I see him saying, all right, dude, you're going to keep your head down and you instead of looking into my face, and every time you do that, curse results. Look here. Like that's where I would that's where I thought you were going. That's why I kept saying, let's go back to Cain. Well, I think that's true, because I, I mean it's the same thing with Adam and Eve. The ground was cursed and it was going to be toiled. But but the faithfulness of God is still there. They can still turn. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but I just Yeah, okay. That's why I said I'm with you in spirit, but I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what you're saying, I guess. Yeah. Or, I mean, what, what you said, I don't even disagree with. Yeah, I just want to think about it a little bit. Okay. Um, but I think the reason Hebrews speaks of this is Abel, this is why, you got to remember, Hebrews was written to Hebrews. Not Gentile churches like Paul was in. This was written to the people like we, when I showed the video last week of people that were brought up with all this bad Judaism, bad understanding of the old covenant, all this stuff. And you got Paul, who was the Pharisee of Pharisees, realizing and writing this, if he was the one, there's always a question whether Paul wrote this, but that's another subject. Either way, this person understood the scriptures and is trying to say there's like people, like, do you realize we have missed this? Like, Abel was a foreshadowing of what Jesus did and what the power that's in his blood. Right. And, and he's, they're trying to get them to see us. Like he wants them to be excited about what he's realizing is, is that, yes, these were all about the Messiah and Jesus and what he did on the cross and why he was raised from the dead, that he died for murderers. He died for everybody. He didn't die just for, it's for everybody because Abel's blood was for a brother, but this is for the enemies of God, because even while we were sinners and the enemies of God, Jesus prayed for his enemies and died for his enemies. The people who very hung him there, he died for. And he's saying Jesus is even greater, which is why Jesus says there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. Um, if we can go to tie a couple other loose ends here. Chapter um, 11 of Hebrews. This goes back when I told you, wait, Ben, I'll make sure I show you it's not my idea of why um, Abel's was accepted, mine wasn't, and why <clears throat> what the difference was between them that I think it's an identity issue. It says in Hebrews 11.4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. 
Through this, he received approval as righteous. God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By, and I want to keep reading. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's going on in the five. There's a bunch of death that occurs in Genesis 5. Death after death, so-and-so dies. And in the midst of all this death, we see life with Enoch. We see life with Enoch. Somebody who walked with God. It says that God was walking in the desert looking for Adam. So what does it mean to walk with God? It's in faith of identity of who you are. That you can walk with God. And Abel's thing, I, I <clears throat> Mark talked about this faith. The one thing I want to add to it, the root, when you see the word believe and faith in the Bible, the Greek and the the root that's in those words, faith, believe, when Jesus talked about belief, is the root of all that is the word for trust. Trust. It's trusting that when we say it's pleasing to God by faith, what, do, what is being said here and what I want to say to you, and this is the part I hope going through all this that you see is that the biggest thing that pleases God, it says it's faith. But let me change that to the root of that word, trust. What pleases God is when we trust in our hearts. I mean, truly trust, not words. I'm saying in our hearts, in our quiet moments, we say, we know that he loves us. When we doubt and don't have the faith to believe that he loves us for just like we are, that's what is unpleasing to God. Abel knew, regardless of what his sacrifice was, he was going to be accepted. Cain did not. He did not have the faith to believe. He felt he had to bring the right thing to God for God to like him. Not true. That's not knowing your creator and your father who created you. Faith is this trust and belief truly were love. Because I still think that's the problem with the world. We really don't the world does not believe that a guy created them and loved them and would actually die for them and go to the cross it's foolishness to them that's what paul talks about it's foolishness the cross is foolishness who would do that but i'm telling you you want to know what pleases god you want to please god and do all that stuff then in your being you have to know that you are loved and that you are his and that you that you are the apple of his eye when you come to realize that, there's no thing that pleases God more than that. When you know that deep down in your heart, because that's what he was thinking of in Gethsemane. He wanted them like, they finally know that I love them. And that's personally for each of you as well. So walking with God is that trust and belief that 
He wants to have that type of relationship with us. That's what this whole story is about. We talk about story. My dad talked like, we need to probably start defining it. Well, I think it has to do with God's faithfulness to us, and it's about us learning to trust in what Mark preached about, the faith to know in our hearts who we are and how loved we are, that we are sons and daughters of the Creator, everyone. wanted to, oh, we're right at 8 <laughs> uh, Well, I do not want to hold you up. Um, I, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pick this up <laughs> in two weeks and let you guys, uh, uh, chew on this a little bit, but I, um, the lengths God goes to, to, to just make that one point, that we're loved, we're his kids, and knowing that that's what's ultimately going to change us, that we can come to know that. Um, it's the whole reason why, you know, we're at Bible school, Bible study, um, I wanted to end with communion tonight, um, but I know because of time, we're not going to do that, but I hope. <laughs> um, I just wanted us to spend some quiet time with God, but I pray that you really pray about this and realize um, as we go through here is that God had a plan all the time and he is so patient. And we learn in Paul, love is patient. God is the ultimate patience of how he continues. I mean, he waited a long time to come. He did a lot of things to prepare so we could see. Um, and so people could see. So, um, yeah. Can we take 10 minutes? You guys, because I, I know it's late, and I apologize. Can, can, we, can we end this the way I wanted to? You guys got 10 minutes? Okay. All right. So, I think, and this is one of the things where God hit me because I just happened to come upon me going to work with this song. Um, I want, when Jill and I and my dad were involved in a little home church in our, our, our basement, one thing that we always did is we, we always worshiped before and then my dad or I would give a message and some other people in the church did too. But I always ended us um, with communion, and it was because whoever was up there, whether it was me or somebody else, I wanted them to know that if your sermon doesn't end in some way tying it in to Jesus, that this is all about him, it was a reminder that to realize that's where we, if we don't finish there, well, how would we really finish it? So I say all that because then what we did is we just took time, and <clears throat> I'm going to just play play one song and Whenever you're ready, you can come up, you can come take the elements at any time, and if you don't want to, you can, but what we did is, this is time for you to take it when you're ready for it, in your heart, to accept it and realize the love and the lengths God went to, to do this for you. I just want you to 
listen to the words. If you want to go to a back corner, um, anywhere on the floor, just do whatever you want to do. But just be with the Lord and really ask him to give you the faith to believe how much you are loved. Especially if you're doubting it at all, is because that's what's going to be pleasing. And if taking those elements will help you do that, that that was for you. And remember people we talked about, murderers, anybody. It doesn't matter what you did. The depth of his love, it was all about that. So um, I know Diane left. I think she had me set up to do it. I'm going to try to get this started. So whenever this song plays, it's about seven minutes long. Take your time. You can come get it right away if you want as we start or whenever. But please, just you just spend some time with the Lord and let him just love you. She said all you have to do is press play. Oh, yeah, real quick. Just, yeah, go ahead and turn that off. You can go ahead. Um, I'm going to have my dad read another passage out of Hebrews to really set up this time of communion for us. So, Listen to these words, close your eyes, take them in, and go ahead, Dad. Read that real quick. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Father, please just give us, continue, help us to continue to look into your face and in faith and in trust that we please you by our hearts proclaiming over and over, knowing truly in our hearts that you love us, that you want to be with us, regardless of whether we're at our best or we're at our worst. You, I, everyone in this room, I am the one you love. May we believe that in faith. And as we leave this place, take it to a world that needs to know that you love them too. That they are the one that you love. Lord, help us to be a testimony to that love. Let it be so embedded in our hearts that it just comes forth so naturally for us, just as naturally as breathing to put that message out there to a world who desperately needs to know that you are their creator, their father, and that you are their child. Lord, I thank you for this time tonight. Lord, I pray for the safety of all, and may we leave here knowing how much of we are loved. I ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for hanging in there.